Welcome today to Seth Joyner Show. Got a special show for you guys. It is Running Back Tuesday. Um, joining me today, my former teammate, um, came in the same draft class, um, running back Keith Byers from Ohio State University. Um, also joining me today is Mr. Brian Westbrook, um, Philly, one of Philly's finest for sure, um, out of the University of Villanova. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today on the Seth Joyner Podcast. And um, first of all, how are you guys doing through all this madness, KB? Oh, I'm doing okay. When you introduced me, you didn't get it right. It's the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, all those Buckeyes, we got to say that. I don't know. It's something in the water once you get there. Once you get out, you got to always put that out there. But during the pandemic so far, so good. You know, me and the family, we're doing well. I'm here in Ohio uh, in a lovely July afternoon. And so I'm enjoying and looking forward to today's podcast. Awesome. B. You know, we're doing well. I'm, I'm blessed. The family is healthy. Um, most importantly, and, you know, we're just praying for everybody. We're praying for the people to be smart, wear the mask and, you know, be responsible. And certainly if, um, if you're in the hospital, have any type of disease, we always are, are praying for those people too. So we are, uh, we're praying for, but we're happy. We, you know, family's good. Kids are running around trying to drive me crazy. I, uh, the hardest part for me was, I'll tell you, over the last couple of months, you don't really they, they always say you don't really know something until you have the, the ability to explain it. And so as I was teaching, and I'm using quotes here, uh, substitute teaching my kids while they were homeschooling, I was like, you know what? There's a lot of things I just don't know. I can't explain anything. I don't know the answer to any, any of these questions you're talking about. I don't know the answers to them. So, it's that new math. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different math. So um, I, I think I can get the answer, but how I got to it is not going to be the way that you guys need to learn so we've been dealing with that but other than that we've been good just have hopefully uh, we're happy that football season is going to be coming around pretty soon you know with that thought in mind um you know the nfl announced a couple of days ago that training camp will officially open for all players on the 28th um i think the the rookies report a little early and then the quarterbacks and wide receivers a couple of days early and everybody has to be in on the 28th with that thought in mind and understanding where we are right now, there's a lot of trepidation on part of the players um, as far as what the safety protocols are going to be. Um, some guys aren't comfortable with it. Malcolm Jenkins calls football, you know, non-essential. that We don't really have to do it. Um, you know, realistically for the top 15% of the players in the NFL, you know, they could probably get away without playing a football season. But for the other 85%, they need a check. They need to get paid. They need for the season to get off. Um, but, you know, with the health concerns, um, you know, what would concern, Brian, you the most in this situation if you were playing today? You know, I think you, you what you said was absolutely right. If I was um, 27, 28, and I already got a couple contracts underneath my belt, my concern wouldn't be as – uh, as much because, you know, I got a couple of dollars in my pocket and there the possibility of me getting sick, which I think as athletes, you're not even concerned as much as about you getting sick. I always think about bringing it home to my wife and the kids and possibly my parents and my, you know, my family, extended family as well. So those would be my biggest concerns. You know, and, and when I look at it, I think about what they did in baseball. They shorted, shortened the season and they made it so that the teams are going to basically be playing locally. They're not traveling as much. And in basketball, they go into the bubble down there at Disney. In football, 
you know, they had to, they had to, you know, an arbitration about being tested every day more than just the first two weeks. And obviously the NFL gave up on that. But to me, that's something that should have, you know, been a given, you know, just test these guys every single day, make sure that they're healthy. Because I, I do believe, like Malcolm Jenkins believed, that football is non-essential. And as much as I love it, uh, I would be very, very afraid to go back in there with 53 other guys or however many other guys they have on the team and, and be thinking about what's going on in someone else's home. I mean, just think about it. When I was when I was 30 and leaving the league, I was in the house. I would go to work and go home every single day. When I was 22 in the league, I was not going straight home. And you know, that would be my major concern with, with dealing with other people. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Brian. I think you, you said it well. You know, I think that, like you said, there's two different mindsets. When you're working on your, you're still in your midst of your first contract, you're a rookie free agent, you're a late draft pick, or, you know, even the first round pick, you got different priorities. And a lot of times you're single and you're only thinking about you, but you got to think about the big picture. You got to think about those you come in contact with and even, the, you know, your brothers in the locker room because your guys are trying to bond and come together as one. And is it that essential? It's not necessarily essential for you to watch NFL football Saturday, Saturday afternoons. But if you had a job where somebody in the regular industry, like a whole lot of regular folks, their jobs are essential. You're working at a grocery store, things like that. Yeah, we need that to have food. But my health is number one over the ability to play football. And right now I'm at 40% that they'll have a season right now. Come September. I mean, you know, when you stop and think about it, you know, the NFL has been least affected um, of the major league sports, in my opinion, um, by this COVID situation. And they've had, you know, a lot of time to kind of think through how they were going to navigate this and what they were going to do. And as I looked at social media the last couple of days, um, there's a lot of concerns. You know, we want to play is the hashtag that these guys are using, but they're all you know, they don't know what the process is. They don't know um, what's going to happen when they come in, what the what the protocols, what the safety protocols. Are they going to get tested every day like the NBA? Or are they going to get tested every once in a while? If two guys get it, do you completely shut it down? You know, are you expanding rosters? Are you expanding practice squads? You know, there's just no – they've given the players, in my opinion, um, you know, no information that allows them to feel safe about putting themselves in this situation. Well, I mean, I would definitely be for expanded rosters, you know, because what do they have now? 80 guys? You know, I would have easily knocked that up to 100. Now, as far as active roster, yeah, you can keep that the same, but I wouldn't be in, you know, trying to make cuts or anything like that because you're going to need a whole lot of bodies because right now baseball just opening the day you know, 60 games in 66 days to see who the World Series champion is, it's going to be the healthiest team to be that will be the World Series champion, not necessarily the best team. And uh, NFL, they're kind of, like you said, they're, they're still least affected, but it's about to happen to them, you know, in a very real way over the next couple of weeks. You know, my biggest question really would be, it, it, no matter how big the roster is, I know I was, I was just reading one team, must have been the Eagles, they had 87 people on their active roster, and I think they may bump it up to 90 um, to that will, I guess, go to training camp. But the question to me would be, will fans, coaches, would the locker room be accepting 
if we have replacement players, which I think is okay, but if you're starting to have replacement players for Carson Wentz and, and Jason Peters and Lane Johnson, what about the people that you count on all the time? Your stars. If you have replacement players for your stars, is it the same thing? And I would think if, if I had a true opportunity, let's say I work Kansas City, and I had a true opportunity to repeat, and God forbid Patrick Mahomes catches the coronavirus in week, I don't know, 15, and now let's say they have to play, you know, first round of the playoffs or whatever it is, and he's out for two weeks. If you're Andy Reid, I'm like, well, hold on, time out. You know, I don't want to have to play somebody else in my quarterback position. I understand the, everything, the dynamic, but at the same time, you know, I want to be in a great position to try to win right now. And so I think it's, I think it's going to be difficult. And I think it's easy for us to say, we'll just throw in a new linebacker. We'll throw in a new offensive guard. But let it be your star receiver. Let it be your star quarterback. Let it be Tom Brady on missing Monday night football. Uh, the first whenever they played Monday night football down there in Tampa Bay. I mean, that's uh, to me, that's going to be an issue, especially for TV. Well, so the guy I don't see it as an issue. I think that's just a rubber to green. That's for your general manager to do his job to get the best talent in there. Look, the Eagles just won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with their backup quarterback. We couldn't wait for Carson Wentz to get healthy. Hey, Foles, you know, you was in a position to go in there and help us win, and that's what it's going to come down to, the general managers, you know, going out to get the best talent, the backups that you can because it's – that's, you know, to win the Super Bowl anyway, it comes down, you need, to, you know, a, a little bit of luck on your side on the health issue, whether you have a sprained ankle, busted knee, or coronavirus, that's going to come into play. Well, it'll, it'll definitely come into play. I, I, I saw yesterday um, the NFL is negotiating with the NFLPA on behalf of the players, talking about what the preseason is going to look like. Um, I saw that they made some concessions to completely scrub uh, the preseason um, in in my opinion, uh, you know, are they are they giving something to keep something else? Um, is, is that possibly, you know, what's going on here? Because I just don't see how in the world you can go to camp and practice for five, six weeks and then jump right into the regular season game. I mean, how does that affect your young guys that you need to evaluate and see? Um, do you expand your roster, your your practice squad roster, so that you can keep those players rather than have to to cut them under the circumstances? But you know, I just know that for me, you know, you've already cut it back so much over the last couple of years, where you don't want to get your quarterback in just so you don't play him in preseason. You don't want to get your best receiver, your best running back, you know, playing during preseason because you don't want to get him get him injured. You want him healthy going into the regular season. And conversely, when you Going to the regular season, most offenses are not hitting on all cylinders. You know, you got four, five, six weeks before these teams even find their rhythm. Um, and that's detrimental to a team. When you get to the end of the season and you're one or two games out as far as the playoffs is concerned, you can look back to the beginning of the season, some of those games that you threw away that had you played your best players during that time and got I got the work during that time. Maybe you're sitting in a better, a different position than you are at the end of the season on the outside looking in. No, and Seth, you just made me think of something when you said they, they no preseason games. What if I'm trying to make the roster? And I may not make the Eagles roster, but somebody else sees me. I, I can make their roster, you know, and then you also challenge like, oh, if this guy gets cut, 
we can bring he, – he can definitely help us. Y'all overloaded it at this particular position. I mean, look at the Eagles at running back. You know, they got three fine running backs. But <laughs> if someone can make a, maybe a trade for one of them, and you don't – you know, so when do you get a chance to showcase – you know your skills because you know we are. Brian understands as well. You love the Eagles, but there's there's still 31 other teams you can play for that you want to always showcase your ability. And if you mess around and have cuts, and nobody ever seen how good you really are, are they That's going to have inter squad scrimmages? And how how much would you would you know would you really get a look out of that? Out of that, you want to go against competition. That's the tough part about this preseason, really the offseason, too, because I, I know when I came in the league, I was a third-round pick I'm out of Villanova. I wasn't necessarily going to be a starter. I had Dorsey Levins, Deuce Staley, Brian Mitchell, Carell Buckhalter. Uh, he hated me. I had, everybody was in front of me. I was the, the worst guy or whatever. I was the lowest guy on the totem pole, and it was because of my ability to go out there and hustle doing special teams practice and, and run my butt off and show my skills on special teams that at least gave me an opportunity to stick on the team a little bit longer, which hopefully I would have made it anyway, but also kind of shows your offensive coaches, you know, maybe this guy, we should give him a chance. Maybe we should give him an opportunity to touch the ball a little bit more. And for so many people that weren't drafted, um, you know, I think the preseason, and I know how much the vets myself hated preseason, but for those guys, it's a great opportunity to, to show that you can play in the NFL. So that's one of the big things you're going to miss uh, this offseason. And to your point, Seth, when you say, you know, a lot of offenses are still trying to hit their their stride in September, it's my belief over the last couple of years, you know, I think it goes back to the hitting and the contact that you could possibly have in practice. You know, September is a new August. And so many teams are just average. They're just okay um, in, in September because they hadn't really gotten the rhythm from August. And I think this is why you're going to have so much um, – you know, I just think it's going to be a great thing for teams that have the continuity, Kansas City, Bill Belichick, those teams that have coaches that are already there. I mean, just think about in, in our division, the Washington, uh, the the Giants, as well as the Cowboys, they're all brand-new coaches. When mm -hmm. would they have time to talk to these guys through their assignments, give them the character and culture that you're trying to build? And I know they want to do it over Zoom and meetings like that, but there's nothing different than – walking past Andy Reid in the hallway, Buddy Ryan for you guys, and walking past those guys, and they grab you and say, listen, work on this technique, step up and block with your hands, things like that. That 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 feels different than a phone call on the computer. And so, I mean, I know it's a new age, and I know these young kids have a different way of communicating, but at the end of the day, the same way that Seth Joyner had to go hit somebody in the mouth and Keith Byers had to go hit somebody in the mouth, and I had to go try to not get hit in the mouth, things like that, these kids are going to have to step up to the plate and understand offenses and defenses and then go hit somebody in the mouth while doing it. And it's much harder when you have no practice doing it. And, and the X's and O's don't move on the chalkboard. Oh, they do not. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, a, a lot of it, a lot of it too, you know, you're trying to figure out as a, as a young player, you're trying to figure out the new NFL. Because, I mean, you've been playing NCAA football for the last four years in most cases for these kids. You know, you're coming in. You got to learn a new system. You got to learn, you know, like Brian said, the culture of the team. You got to, and and for me, you know, preseason and um, and and training camp was about repetition, you know. And for you know, if we don't, if you don't have preseason for a guy like me, Keith, for a guy like me, if there's no preseason when we got drafted in 1986, I probably don't make the team because I made the team right. on special teams. 
You know, I got a chance every special team to go out and show what I could do. And the coaches had an opportunity to look and say, well, you know what? They evaluated because I didn't play much at linebacker at all. What I, what they got an opportunity to do was look at what I was doing special team-wise and make a decision that, hey, if we can translate that aggression and we can if we can translate that smart, that smarts, if we can translate what he's doing on special teams to linebacker, then we might have just found us something. You know, these guys are going to miss all of that. Because when you're preparing for the regular season with no preseason, the young guys aren't going to get a look. Who are you going with? You know, now if you're a first-round draft pick, they're counting on you to come in. Jalen Rager for the Eagles, they're expecting for this kid to be a player. You know, so they're going to put him out there. But everybody else behind them, those guys, they're not going to get a look until next year. They're not going to get a look until next preseason, if we ever get back to normal. But, Seth, you know, you hit on something. Without preseason games for, especially a rookie, free agent, the speed of the game is so much faster than high school to college, college to pros. It's huge because you go from college, high school and go to and go to college, and the speed is much faster. And you're like, okay, I, I can compete with these guys. But now, when you leave, you know, a major Division One football program and then go into the NFL, that speed is four or five times faster because everybody who played on your Division One football team couldn't play on the next level <laughs> so if you don't get no idea of how fast is fast till you're out there i mean because you know Jalen rager the wide receiver there's going to be dbs he's going to face that he's never faced before that good mm-hmm. he's only faced a few of them throughout his college year now every sunday he's going to be man i'm an nfl quarterback too i can run with you what else you got <laughs> you know now you know you're a running back you got linebackers just as big as you and just as fast as you Hey, you're not that special anymore. What else do you have? And if you don't have a chance to put that into practice in the, you know, during training camp, you're going to wait till the first game of the season to see, you know, where you match up at. Whereas a veteran, he knows. Because, you know, even when we're, you know, when, you know, Brian, when you was in training camp, you was only going as fast as you need to be. I'm just trying to get my timing right. right. When a young guy come at you, dude, I got levels. <laughs> I got different gears, you know, that I'm trying to save mine for a Sunday. But these guys, there is no Sundays where you're trying to make the team. Every day is Sunday for you doing pre-training camp. They you have an opportunity to make it. One of the things I wonder about is, just like you mentioned, the speed of the game, guys getting used to it. But over the last couple of years, we've seen rookies, and I'm thinking about the wide receiver position. And I guess when I think about guys like um, the running back, Miles Sanders, you know, he was very helpful, played really well in his rookie year. But over the last couple of years, we've seen rookie wide receivers come in and help teams win almost immediately. And I'm just wondering how that will be thrown off this season. How would it be thrown off? Because so much of your improvement comes between your rookie year and your second year. How would that be thrown off for these second year players as well? Um, so I, I think it's going to be a great challenge for some of these guys. I think it's going to, it's going to, they're going to have to be focused on a different level this year. Um, than they ever were because who knows what happened. There may be a start and stop mechanism because of Corona test. It may just be just a different element. And it's going to take, in my in my mind, the veterans to be able to control that locker room, those coaches that have a good grasp on a team like Doug Peterson, that have a good feel, pulse of the team, to be able to control things a lot more. The veteran coaches, I think, have such an advantage um, in a season like this where you haven't had training camp and mini camp and so many different things that you typically have, uh, it's going to call upon everyone to help, especially the younger guys, get acclimated to the league. How do you guys, you know, when you view – now, I'm, I'm looking 
I'm watching the N, the N, NBA and Major League Baseball with bated breath because um, I'm of the opinion that this is the test case. This is the beta test for the NFL. If the NBA starts back up and they have COVID issues, if Major League Baseball starts back up and they have um, COVID issues and it gets so bad that they have to shut it down, that's the beta test for the NFL. I mean, we're basically in a situation where if baseball and basketball can't finish their abbreviated seasons, football doesn't have a chance by September. So they won't even start. <laughs> so they, they'll just get delayed that much longer then. Cause that's why, you know, I said I'm at 40% chance that the NFL is going to, you know, have Maybe in next week or weeks, find out whether they're going to have a delay of the season, which is probably going to be less than about 30% chance they're going to start, you know, the first Sunday or whatever it is, first or second Sunday, you know, in September. Yeah, I, I just kind of believe that there's going to be delayed. Um, and, you know, with all the testing, so here's the hard part about the NFL. It's a stressful game. We all know it's a what have you done for me lately game. And no matter what you did last week, you could have had 10 tackles last week, Seth. But if you don't have 10 this week, then you just a bum. And for running back, same type of thing. You had 20 carries last week for 100 yards. If this week you have 20 carries for 50 yards, you're terrible. So it's always about what have you done for me lately. And sometimes because of that stress, especially when you're a single man, you got to relieve it somehow. And right now, because of the status of the coronavirus, you got to – you're going home, you're going to the facility, you would hope. And I, I just wonder how the guys are going to relieve that that tension, that stress. Because at some point, you got to let your hair down. At some point, you got to say, okay, it's football 85% of the time. The other 15, I just got to be able to relax. I'm wondering what the guys will be able to do. And I'm, I'm also seeing, trying to figure out how that's going to relate to the amount of positive uh, COVID tests that come from that time off away from the facility and away from the game. Now, I listen, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, Thursday night used to be our night out. Whether you just got together with the guys and you went to dinner or you were one of those partiers that you went to dinner and after dinner was over, you went out clubbing, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you, you mean to tell me that you're going to get 20-something-year-old guys? I mean, the older guys that are married with kids, families, and whatnot, you know, that's a lot less of a priority for those guys. But for the young guys um, who are new to the, the to the game, second year players, you know, that are that may kind of get caught up, you know, in the after practice stuff. You know, how does that affect them? Um, you know, are things open for them to be able to be out and be out and about? Um, are the coaches going to implore them that practice is over? Go home and study. Go home and get a good good night's sleep. Well, come on, you're 20 something years old. You want to get out and move and shake and you know and have some fun. That's just you know what young players do. Um, how do you keep those guys from doing that? You know, in the Chip Kelly era, you know, he had the sleep monitors on those guys, and it was beyond just the sleep monitors. In my opinion, it was like a, a GPS system that was tracking those guys to see where they were, what they was doing, who was sleeping, who wasn't sleeping, who was home, and who was not. But, you know, the Eagles don't operate like that anymore. No NFL team, in my opinion, can afford to operate, you know, under those circumstances. So how do you control the young guys? How do you, you know, I, and I get the veterans can tell them whatever they want to tell them, you know. But when them street lights is calling and you young, <laughs> you get out and you start chasing, man. That's, right. what, it, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Then you're in a foreign city. You're in a city that most time, very rarely is that you're going to play in your hometown city. 
So most of us are in the cities that we're not from. And you, like you said, you want to get out and explore. And it's the time of your life. I'm 21, 22, 25 years old. It's the time of your life. Pocket full of money. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Time. Now. The first time you it. probably had a pocket full of money in your whole life. And, and you know, you, you get entrapped just like everyone else. Rams, cars, homes. And for most of the guys, women too. So they kind of all go in hand in hand. But, you know, they, they have to be very smart. I'm concerned about that. But, you know, I always believe that it's going to be the teams that are most focused and most ready to play. They're most prepared. They take their, their opponents seriously week in and week out, and they get better every single day. It's going to be the long-lasting team that wins in the end. And so I don't know that this year would be any different, um, especially with the team's focus. Let's see. Well, Seth, you, you mentioned something earlier, Seth. When you talk about the veteran leadership. You know, when we came in the league, we had a young team. You know, I think we had I think we had the most rookies that made the roster, you know, back in 1986. So we didn't have a lot of veteran leadership. That came from us as we got older. And I remember one thing, one time you said something in the locker room, and it made a lot of sense, and I've quoted it many times throughout the years, you know, to a lot of uh, teams and stuff I've been associated with. And you have said, you know, what you love, you spend time with. You mm-hmm. want to spend time with. So if you love this game of football, you will make sacrifices and spend time. Like you love your family, you want to spend time with your wife, your kids, and your love and your family members. You got to feel that way about football as well. So that's where the veteran leadership on, you know, whatever teams have many veterans that not only be a veteran, but get that point across to the younger guys. Be like, hey, man, I've been a rookie and a second-year guy too, but let me help. You don't, you don't have to make some of the mistakes that I made. Or let me tell you how to do it if you just number one focus right now and others will be added later on. That'll give you a chance for success. And you know, that's a message that should go across every veteran, you know, locker room. And hopefully they, they're getting that in they'll, they'll get that in Philadelphia. Well, you know, the, the the issue for me is, you know, I've come to realize after playing for 13 years and continuing to be associated with the game. That in my opinion, I believe there's three three different types of players. There's the player that plays for the notoriety. You know, they love to go out and be recognized. There's the player that plays for the money, you know, and he doesn't last long because the minute he gets a big contract, he shuts it down. Mm-hmm. He exhales. And it's, and it's just a matter of time before he's either cut or asked to take a pay cut. Um, and then you got the guy that plays to be a champion. They love the game. They love to study. They love to practice. They love to work out. They love every aspect of the game to your point, Keith. But so when you got 53 guys on the roster and 10 guys on the practice squad, you know that that mix, that, that mix is going to be skewed. If I could get 53 guys that love the game and want to be champions, you you win, you win have a winning record every single year and you'd be in the mix for the championship every single year. The The... The problem is you've got to figure out how to integrate those guys that want the notoriety and want the money with the guys that want to be champions. And you got to have enough of those guys that want to be champions to bring those other guys along and call those guys out. I'll give you a case in point. When I went to Arizona, it was not about winning championships. Okay. The only reason I went there is because Buddy Ryan took over as a head coach. And I believe that, you know, they always had talent, you know, and I believe that he could turn it around. That's why I went there. You know, when I got there, I realized and understood why they never won because they have factions on the team. This group didn't like that group. That group didn't talk to that group. I'm like, man, you can't, you can't win like that on a team with 53 guys, man. It don't work that way. 
if you can't come together and respect each other, even though you don't like a guy on your team, you have no shot. Okay. But when I played in, in Green Bay, my second to last year in Denver and won a Super Bowl with them that last year, there was a culture there among Mike Shanahan and, and Mike Holmgren. What the theory was, this is what's expected. Okay. We're not going to ask you two, three times to do it. We're not going to cattle prod you to do it. This is the level of play that's expected. And when you don't play to this level, guess what? We'll cut you and find somebody else that'll come in and do what's expected to be done. Um, I just don't see, I don't, I don't think the NFL works that way anymore to a large extent. I don't think it can. And, and why is that? Because of the salary cap? I think you're because of guy, you guarantee this much money. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You I mean, Keith, you remember, listen, I, I tell the story all the time. I can remember having a bad game my rookie year and I come in on Wednesday morning and I go to my locker and there's clothes and shoes in my locker. I'm like, man, who stuff is this in my locker? It's like, yeah. oh, they're working out linebackers today. <laughs> and, you know, now it's one thing to bring in a linebacker and work him out, but you put him in my locker? Yeah. You know? So and Sometimes that was on a Monday afternoon after film study. And that, <laughs> was the way that, that was the way that Buddy Ryan motivated, you know, the guys on his team. You can best believe I had one of my best games the next game. You can't do that anymore with the salary cap, and the way, and coaches aren't wired that way any longer. You know, players aren't wired that way either. That's the other. That? I said the players aren't wired that way either. I mean, you, you can try to do that now, and you got them on Instagram and Twitter doing their stories and telling their side of the situation. If you can coach, you can't coach guys like that. And when I, I I think at the beginning of my career, like I mentioned, I had old heads with me, Hugh Douglas and Troy Vincent and and Doc and Bobby Taylor and Brian Mitchell. And, you know, it was about, you know, being early, being on time. Thanks for being on time today, Seth. A little late, you know what I mean? <laughs> he got a fine point. He's going to put me on blast on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Keep already discussed the fine. So we, when we see you, we're going to get our money from you. We'll take it, Jenna. Don't worry about that. But, you know, back in the day, the old heads ruled the locker room. And it was about what the old heads said. And the coach kind of just went along with that. And yeah, I think you're right. Now you got a lot of younger coaches. Some of the players are a little bit older than coaches, and things are just different. How you can talk to the, the players are different. How you can control them is different. And I, I believe that's why you see a lot of these older school coaches. Uh, you talk about Bill Belichick. You talk about Andy Reid. You see these guys that have been around for a long time. They, they, they have staying power because they're doing it the right way. These young guys are coming in and out of the league. They're trying to reinvent the wheel. But at some point, you got to look a man in the face and say, this is how we're going to do it here. This is the Eagle way. This is the Washington way. This is the Giant way. This is what we're going to do here. And if you don't want to get on board, get off the train. And you know, unfortunately, some of these young coaches don't do that anymore. Yeah, you, you know, you brought up Bill Belichick's name. You, 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 my, he was the – when I left Philadelphia and went on to Miami, then ended up in New England and the New York Jets, Belichick was a defense coordinator on both those teams. And the younger guys, especially defensive players, they would think Belichick – didn't like them because uh, you just gotta understand, Bill. You know, just do your job and you're okay. And my last year in New England, me and Belichick sat next to each other. No, I'm sorry, with the Jets, we sat next to each other in a morning meeting. And me and Belichick have a really good relationship, but he's always thinking about football. And we had three conversations for the whole year outside of high coach high key. 
He don't want to hear about which, what restaurant you went to last night, what good movie you just saw. It's always about football. He was always a no-nonsense guy. Mm-hmm. And it's about football. So a lot of guys can't relate to that. So when you go to New England, you know, you see a player. Man, that player was okay, but he's a different player when he put that Patriot uniform because he's got an old-school coach who requires certain things out of you. And most of the players that go there, they play the best of their ability, otherwise they're gone. And you're starting to see a trend toward old school coaches like what we have in Philadelphia, you know, with Doug Peterson. I think he's doing a tremendous job. You know, what Mike Tomlin is is, is doing in Pittsburgh, you know, with, you know, just a lot of, you know, a trend back to, you know, somewhat of the old school coaches. Not all the way, but they start trending that way. And hopefully that'll have effect in the locker room, you know, in the coming years. Well, listen, I I agree. I, I I just think you know, as much as football has changed, football has still stayed the same. Um, and, and I think that you know, it's really about accountability. You know, the coaches that I played for, it was always about accountability. The eye in the sky don't lie. The worst thing in the world is to come into that meeting on Monday Monday morning and walk in that film room and know that you didn't give your best, and you got to wait and see all these plays where you messed up. And all your peers are sitting there watching. Um, the coaches I played for, man, they just, it was just straightforward. You know, now, you know, in the social media era, era, you got, you know, players that are so sensitive to certain things that you can't say. There are certain coaches in the NFL that won't even criticize their player, mm-hmm. you know. And I get it. You know, some guys are wired different. But as a coach, that's your job to understand your players and learn each and every one of your players. You know, for me, even when I coach youth football, my my intent was to learn every single player. So let me figure out which which kid can I get on a little bit? Which kid can I motivate the entire team through? Which kid, you know, I got to pat on the behind? Which kid I got to wrap my arm around and give him a little bit of love, you know? And as a coach, that's your job. It's not just the X's and O's. It's learning who your players are and learning, you know, how to deal with each player. But you can't deal with it with a sleight of hand. I mean, accountability, discipline, those are hard things. And as a coach, you got to do that. Even as a parent, you got to do that. You know, and, and, and to, to, to a point, Keith, before you go, I think that being a coach is just like being a dad. You know, there are hard things that you got to do. Even though you love your kids, there are hard things that you have to implement in your kid's life in order for them to be successful. No, I, no, I, I agree with that. But I was going to ask you and – Brian, the same question. What, what, what the kind of, um, which, which, which coach style did you, you, did you guys, you know, respond to the best? You know, the coach is going to pat you on the back, or the coach is going to curse you out. You know, which, you know, which temperament, you know, fit your personality and your playing style that you reacted to the best? Go ahead, B. You know, for me, I wasn't really. I always wanted the coach to keep it real with me. Don't you don't got to sugarcoat it because for me, I'm going to look at the tape with the most objective eye. That possible. So anything that you want to say to me that that was on film, I've already seen it. I already know. Oh, listen, you missed the A gap. You missed the B gap. You probably should have cut this linebacker. You should have, you know, ran a better route. So I already know. So if a coach come to me saying you had a great game, you did this that, and the other, yeah, I may have some great aspects. But if I ain't do as well as I thought I could have in all aspects, then I didn't have a great game. So I always wanted a coach that was going to keep it real with me. He's going to shoot me straight. Personally, I never liked a coach that was just a yeller. Like you, you, you know, to me, you can just tell me what, the, what you want me to know, and I'll get it. You don't have to. You never, you never had to really 
yell at me and yell, you raise your voice. But I also understood that there were guys on that 53-man roster that needed to kick in the butt. And so the coach was going off on the whole team, then I understood exactly what it was. And as a player, and, and just like you mentioned, it, Seth, everybody gets motivated differently. Everybody looks at it differently, and every player responds differently. And there are a lot of you know young guys and some old guys that need a kick in the butt from time to time. But for me, I was just like, listen, shoot me straight, tell me what it is, and I go out there and do it to the best of my ability. And that's the type of coaching that I've, I've always had the most success with. Keith, I'll tell you, man, I, I have always been my own worst critic. Um, you know, it, it, it just I could I knew when I messed up and I knew when I played it right. Um, but it was tough because but it was going to make you there was a rite of passage, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because that was his baby. There was a rite of passage that you had to go through. I mean, for two years, my first two years. I don't even think he knew my name, but I was 59. I mean, he called, <laughs> right. he called me by my number for 50, 59 for two years. It wasn't until my third year when I came in from minicamp after the draft and we were going through practice and he called me by my name and I almost fell over. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of when I knew, oh, okay, I'm one of his guys now. You know, but his his mode of his mode of motivation never bothered me. And you know, I understood early on what he was doing and why he was doing it, okay? But he was the type of coach that he wanted to move you emotionally, okay? And he wanted to move you through the week to see what you were made of because he felt like if he could say things and he could do things to disrupt you, to frazzle you, to get you, you know, um, to get you mentally off balance, then you weren't a player that he could have on his team because in the heat of the moment, he couldn't count on you. And he would run those players off. You oh, know? Yeah. So, so I figured that out real early. So it didn't bother me, you know, when I had a bad game and he would roast me in the media, you know, after the game. Or he'd roast me in the media during the week leading up to the next game. Because I already knew what he was doing. All he was doing was trying to motivate me for the next week. And you could best believe, because I had a bad game the week before, I wasn't going to let it happen two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, and but – there's, but he knew that he could do that with me. You know, he would never say anything negative about Randall, no matter how good or bad Randall played. When Randall played good, he praised him. But if Randall had a bad game, Buddy never criticized Randall, man, because he knew that Randall was the type of player he had to pat him on the butt, he had to wrap his arm around him, he had to tell him he loved him, he had to tell him how great he was because he knew he'd get even much more out of him by doing it that way than saying something negative to him. So, with me, it never bothered me because I knew where it was coming from. And I knew just as long as I continued to play well that everything would be everything. Listen, I'm a combination of both of those. But I, I respond best to, you know, because I'm like I'm like you. I hate to mess up. And I don't need you to tell me I messed up because I know I already messed up. And, you know, so I'm, I'm a self-starter. And I don't mind you raising your voice and, and, you know, and getting your point across to me a little louder. But when I lose it, not that I'm never going to shut down no matter what you say. But I lose respect for you when you start cursing me, when you start using profanity and all that stuff. That's when I lose it because now I'm like, now this ain't about football. Now you now you're questioning my manhood, and now you want to really get it. You know, now we're gonna have to listen to it for way. That's just the way I respond to that because I didn't grow up in a household where it was a lot of profanity being said. So I heard profanity when I got on the streets. So when the street somebody using profanity at me, okay, now let's handle this a little differently. So when I'm in, the, you know, in a football environment, I used to tell my coaches. 
I don't mind what you can say anything you want to me. Please don't be using no curse at me because mm -hmm. that's not the way to, you know, to express yourself to me. The majority of my coaches, you know, respected that in me and me because you're going to, you'll get the best out of me. But the minute you do that, then I'm thinking around you crossing the line. So I would try to help all my coaches, you know, not necessarily the head coach, but the position coach. This is how you're going to get the best out of me. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. <laughs> and, and, and we're going to have a great working relationship. But I've always had that degree of maturity about myself, even in high school and college and, you know, certainly, you know, in the pros. And so I think the, the player, he has a responsibility also, you know, to talk to the coaches that way. I had an offensive line coach in Miami that didn't listen to that message. And we had, I had to straighten them out. <laughs> like, I'm not the one. <laughs> you know, you don't talk to me that way. And I'm, I'm not sensitive or anything like that, but you know, I know my hot buttons and I know my cold buttons. And that is a hot button with me when you start using profanity to, you know, to try to belittle me. That's when, you know, I'm like, now you're crossing the line. Well, see, you know, for me, for me, it always been a, a matter of respect. You know, I don't mind, you know, a coach expressing himself however you express yourself, but just do it in a respectful way. I've had some coaches that have tried to be disrespectful and we had to sit down and have a conversation. But most of the coaches I've had, they dealt with me in a respectful way. It's like you want respect. Respect is a two way street as far as I'm concerned. OK, if you want respect, then that means you have to give respect. Even though you're the head coach, you're the authority figure or the position coach, you're the authority figure over us. OK, we're all here trying to accomplish the same thing. So deal with me in the most respectful ways and then everything will go well. But the minute you try to disrespect me, we're going to either have to sit down and have a conversation. And if that doesn't happen, then you can expect the disrespect back because <laughs> that's that's just the way that's the way it rolls, man. I mean, I, I don't mind coaches cursing. I don't mind coaches yelling. Do what you got to do, you know, because I know how to motivate myself. Like you said, Keith, I'm a self-starter. But at the other end of the spectrum, respect is something that always must be given because I'm going to respect you first. I mean, I was raised to be that way towards my elders to begin with, especially if I'm dealing with a coach. I've been raised to be that way. But you can't be disrespectful to a grown man and expect for a grown man to just take it. Exactly. Hey, I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. But I was um, – it must have been my rookie year, and John Harbour was a special teams coach. And the special teams coach just has a hard job because – most players want to play offense or defense and they'll play special teams, but they ain't going to give their all the special teams because their real goal is to play offense or defense. And so the special teams coach, I mean, you got to kick some guys in the butt just to get them going to give everything out on the field just to get for special teams. And so John Harbour was getting after the guys a little bit in this day in particular, he got after, uh, uh, what is his name? Jeff Thomason. I think it was a, I think it was his name. Oh, tight end. He had been twelve. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, twelve, thirteen years in the league, and he goes out. He says nothing. Works hard every day. He's just a good dude. And for some reason, Harbaugh picked on Thomas. And 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 really, when you think about the way that our coaches always dealt with us, that if he wanted to talk to him, I'm speaking of my rookie year when I was when Deuce was the man and Dorsey and Brian Mitchell were the men, um, the the main running backs. If he wanted to get a message to Deuce or to Dorsey. I would be the one that he was yelling at. So it was it was kind of one of those things in the NFL where if you're trying to get a message to the older guys, you want to yell at the young guys and the older guys if they're paying attention like they should be, they'll get the message. You never have to re really yell at them. And so this day, Harbaugh just was going off on Jeff. And it was and at this point, Jeff, who never said anything, turned around and was like, Listen, you MFR, if you don't get your thing straight, and you know, if you want to talk to the rookies, you talk to them. Don't talk to me like that. 
And it was one of those situations where I'm a rookie. I'm just like, let me get the popcorn. I see this. to a coach like that before. I'm strapping my helmet on, get my pads ready. I just want to be ready to play football. But just to your point, Steph, respect in this man's game is a two-way street. And if you're going to start disrespecting, especially the older guys, uh, they, they're, they're going to say something about it. And I just remember guys like Jeff, and I, I remember B. Mitch, and B. Mitch never said anything uh, bad or anything to the players. He always was talking, always was talking during practice, and he would always get on Harbaugh like, listen, Harbaugh, that's not how we're doing it here, and we do it a different way. And he knew. He knew how to do it. He was a vet. And so the vets going to run that locker room, but respect certainly goes two ways. I tell you what, man. I B, I know you got to go in a minute. Um, so let's let's switch gears. Let's kind of talk some Eagles for you know right quick. And B, right. give me your, Steph, give let me, me just tell you one quick one. Thirty seconds or less. Okay. <laughs> like I do remember one criticism that Buddy got on Randall one time. I think we were playing the Cardinals and defense was kicking butt. Score was maybe like seven to three. The only reason why we had three points was because y'all got a turnover. Again, <laughs> <laughs> we got a field goal. But Buddy come walk in the locker room. He looked at Randall. He said, Randall got to eat a curry. But we were the one that said, Randall said, Randall, you came to the broad side of a bull with a base fiddle today. Get your stuff together. <laughs> Boy, we busted out laughing. Randall, like, what's the base fiddle? It's that big old big stand up. And you can't hit a cow. The broad, you can't hit a cow. Randall, you must suck this afternoon. Get it together. We ended up winning the game, but I, I died laughing. I'm, I'm mad we're losing at halftime by winning. Buddy said that. That kind of loosened us up, and we would have had a good second half. <laughs> wow. Wow. I wish I could have heard that because I ain't hear much of that. Oh, he said that. But, but let's let's talk some Eagles. B, give me your give me your um your prediction, your outlook on where the Eagles are. You know, even with everything going on, you know, like you to your point earlier, you talked about the Eagles are the only stable um coaches to have the only stable coaching staff in the NFC East. Although the Cowboys had a hell of a draft, um, especially being able to snag C.D. Lamb um, and bolster their offense that much more, um, this division is just going to play in the simple. It's going to come down to the Eagles and the Cowboys. Um, With the improvements that you've seen the Eagles make in free agency via the draft, um, what do you see? Where do you see this team and and bringing Jason Peters back, obviously filling in for, you know, um, Brooks, who's got the Achilles Achilles tendon tear? what, what's your prognostication for the Eagles this this upcoming season? You know, I, I think this probably rings true every season. Um, but I think at this point for the Eagles, it's probably more important and it rings truer than any other time. It, you know, and, and I probably I probably said it last three, four years, really. It's going to, it's going to be independent upon what Carson Wentz can do um, and how healthy he can be. I think when healthy, Carson can be sharp. He can be accurate. He can be on top of his game. He can control that offense going up and down the field. And, again, like I mentioned earlier, I think Doug does a great job of having a good pulse on the football team and what they're good at and what Carson wants to see. And when they have that rhythm, it's just hard to stop that offense. with Even with the weapons that they had last year with the reserve receivers, Zach Ertz and Goddard and Miles Sanders, it was just hard to stop the offense when they got things going. Um, But I I think this year – you know, it's, it's going to be about what Carson can bring to the table and how healthy he can be. Is Jalen Rager going to be the player that um, they need him to be? I still feel that Alshon can help you, can help you in certain situations, but he can't be the guy that you're throwing to. Uh, you're going to target 10, 11 times a game. 
Uh, when I look at the defense, the, with the addition of uh, Darius Slay, that's a big-time addition that helps you out a little bit. Uh, um, Nicole Roby in the slot, I think he's a very good player. I think that strengthens your defense. But anytime you lose a veteran like Malcolm Jenkins and you replace him with uh, Jalen Mills, who hasn't played safety in the NFL, I, I'm wondering how that's going to work. Because I, I, I looked at games where Malcolm Jenkins was probably the only reason teams didn't score a touchdown. He was the eraser in so many positions. I'm a little bit concerned with that. I think they're a little bit light in the defensive end position and possibly the linebacker position as well. Um, and so they're, they're going to need guys to step up and play a lot of reps, a lot of plays per game. But to your earlier point, I think they're the class of the division. I, I would I would go, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other when we talk about rosters, um, when you compare them to the Cowboys. But the Cowboys have always had talent. They've always had good players on the team. They just had everybody that was there last year except for CeeDee Lamb, and they figured out a way to get 8-8. Eight and eight. And there was a lot of times where I didn't think they were going to get to 8-8 eight and eight last year. And so their problem hasn't been – um, getting talent and having talent on the team down there in Dallas, it's about how well they can play with that talent. And maybe Mike McCarthy figures it out for them. Um, maybe he doesn't. But if he doesn't, I think the Eagles run away with this division. Um, and and it, I don't know that it's going to be that close, especially if Dallas uh, just can't figure things out down there with the brand new coach. Before you go, talk to me about Miles Sanders. Um, since Doug Peterson has been the head coach in Philadelphia, um, they have been running back by committee. Mm-hmm. Um, no running back has, you know, with a full stable of running backs, has averaged more than, you know, 16 carries a game. I don't know if it's some analytics that says, you know, once they hit that number, they're more susceptible to to, to injuries. But since Doug has been here, what, for going on his fifth year now, um, no running back has averaged, you know, more than about around, around 16 touches running the football a game. Um, now Doug says that, Hey, you know, I finally got a guy that I think that can do everything. Do you see them putting the ball in his hand, him being, you know, I hate the term, but you know, that bell cow that they're going to give him the ball to run the ball 25 times a game that they're going to allow him to catch the ball out of the backfield another five to seven times a game. Do you see that? Because this kid is supremely talented. Listen, when I, when I saw him come out of college, I saw a guy that I thought was elusive. Quick, agile, fast, great lateral speed. Um, but I think what we saw in the later part of the season, and I'll get to the beginning in a second, was a guy that was all those things, but he had breakaway speed. I think it was the Miami game. I mean, he just pulling away from people. May have been Buffalo. But, I mean, he has breakaway speed. And he seems to be one of these kids that the more time, the more reps he gets, the better he got. And, I, and this is what I wanted to mention. At the beginning of the year, he, they started with Miles Sanders as a starter, and he just wasn't there. As, as a rookie, sometimes you think that your speed is your only answer, and you're not using your mind as far as seeing the hole, setting up your block, and then using your speed to get to the hole. He was saying, I'm just going to be fast, and I'm going to get to the edge and try to make a, a run for it. And Saquon Barkley, quite honestly, did the same thing his rookie year. And the coach, Deuce Daly, said, all right, sit on the bench, figure it out. Let me show you what an NFL running back does. They set up their blocks. It's not about speed to the hole. It's about speed through the hole. It's about um, using your pace to be able to make sure that the, the offensive linemen get to where they're, they need to be, their blocking point, and then cut off of them. And after Jordan uh, Howard got hurt, then Miles Sanders came back with a vision, a vengeance towards game 10, 11, 12, towards the, the latter part of the season, 
He looked like a total different running back, was setting up his blocks better, was using patience to get to the hole. And then, again, that breakaway speed um, was there, 800, almost 900 yards of rushing for Miles Sanders. I think he probably gets up to 12, 1,300 this year. I think he remains healthy. What I would love to be able to see is him to get, you know, 14 to 17 carries per game and then probably throw in there, you know, three to six catches. In my mind, that's something that he can do, and that's going to help that offense. I mean, listen, you got Deshaun streaking down the field. You got Jalen Rieger streaking down the field. You got two tight ends and Goddard and Ertz. As a defense, you're going to say, I'm going to allow the shorter ball, meaning the ball that's out the backfield to the running back, to, to be the ball that we're going to give up. And now you got a home run hitter in Miles Sanders. When you put him um, with the ball in his hands in space, anytime he touches it, he can hit a home run. So to me, it's going to be a great opportunity for him this season. I think Carson has to continue to work going through his progressions and not be afraid uh, to, to hit the check down to the running back. And if they do that, I, I don't see why he couldn't be certainly in the running for a po- Pro Bowl uh, because he is that talented. It's going to be tough for him, but I think that he has a skill set. And with this offense, especially if Carson can remain healthy, I think he'll certainly be in the conversation when you talk about Pro Bowl running backs. Be good stuff, man. Hey, I appreciate your time. It's it's all of our most um, valuable commodities, and I appreciate your time. Um, go feed your horses, man. Yeah. And um, I do owe both of you guys dinner for being late. Next time yeah. I see you, dinner's on me. Hey, before I go, man, I want to tell you guys one thing, and this is this is important to me, right? So as a rookie and as a young man, I, I grew up in Washington, so obviously I was a Washington fan back in the day, but I watched you guys, right? And so I watched the way that you guys played the game, came to work. And, of course, and when I got to Philly, you hear the stories about the older guys and how they 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 worked their craft and got better every single day. And it was no days off. It was grind, grind, grind. And I never really get to change. I see you guys as often as I want to. But I, I just I appreciate the, the older statesmen that, that have the ability to come back and shoot you straight and that, that are kind of around. To me, that's important because I talk about the future and I talk about my young kids. You got to be taught by somebody. And it's guys like you two that have given us the goal, given us the target to try to aim for how to carry yourself, how to be a professional, how to do things the right way. And and listen, I appreciate it. And I'm talking, I'm 40 and I've been out of the game for like 10 years now. And I'm appreciating you guys because you continue to lead the way, um, what you're doing on and off the field. And to me, that's important. I don't have enough time to make all the mistakes. Um, I got to learn from other people's mistakes and also the good things that other people do. And I certainly appreciate you guys for being an example, being what I call the prototype. You guys did it the right way. And um, even football and life after football, we're still following your lead. And we appreciate that, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. And I'll see you guys later, man. Take care. We're so happy to see you this fall. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. All right. All right, KB, it's just you and me, man. We're gonna circle no back. Problem, gonna, let's let's talk some Eagles, man, for the next five or ten minutes. Um, you know, uh, let's let's deal with the draft first before we deal with the veterans and everybody else. Um, you and I haven't had really had a ch- chance to talk about it. Um, I felt like um, you know, when the I knew the Eagles were in the market for a wide receiver, they had, you know, they made that obviously clear. When C.D. Lamb fell, you know, to where he fell to, I was at home screaming, move up, Howie, move up, go get him, you know. 
And then the Cowboys take him. Obviously, the Cowboys probably wasn't in the market for a wide receiver, but it was just one of those situations where the best player fell to him, and they were like, we taking him. You know, so so they helped themselves. We we take Jalen Rager, 21, um, when Justin Jefferson is right there, and everyone expected for him to be the pick. Um, and then we come back at 53 in the second round, and we take Jalen um, Hurts out of, um, out of Oklahoma, and everybody's expecting another wide receiver or a defensive end or, I mean, any other offensive line, depth help, or any kind of – Every every position except for a quarterback at 53. Um, after that, I felt like how he hit a home run. When you look at the rest of the draft after the second round, I felt he hit a home run. The jury is still out. I'm not saying that Jalen Rager won't be a great player. Let's wait and see. I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how they're going to utilize or build um, any kind of um, value in Jalen Hurts if Carson Wentz stays healthy, your opinion on their draft. Well, wow, that's a good you gave me a lot of information there. But I I, I agree with you. I, I was like Jalen Rager, <laughs> I, I was shocked when they when they took him and they didn't move up when CeeDee Lamb was on the on the on the on the board as well as Jefferson. But like I said, this NF the draft is an inexact science. You know, I'm happy he's here. You know, I follow the college game, you know, almost as much as I do the professional game, because uh, you know, living here in the Midwest you know, follow the Buckeyes and then the Big Ten and then all the stuff that goes on. So I get to be a football holic from high school to college to to, uh, to professionals on Sundays. But I did see Jalen Rager play in college. And I seen him go like 95 against my Buckeyes when he was, uh, you know, in, in uh, 2018. So I, I know the speed is there. So when I'm with, that, with that pick, I was thinking the Eagles, with hoping Deshaun Jackson comes back 100% healthy, so all signs point that way. They need explosive plays of 20 yards or more on that offense. You know, hopefully, I know Jackson can give it, but Rager can do it because the way they was doing it last year with smoke and mirrors with the two tight ends, Miles Sanders, they had really nobody out wide that can that can stretch the, the defense, yet they still finish 8-8, eight and eight, win a division, go into the playoffs. I'm like, wow. So there is a need for speed. They address those issues. I'm happy with it. Now, with Jalen Hurts, that was totally surprising. See, if Jalen is there in the third or fourth round, yeah, take him. But the second round, I don't know. But what he would give the Eagles, I mean, because Carson Wentz, I hate, hate to say it, his number one concern with him, can he play 16 games, you know, without needing a relief pitcher? So I think Jalen can come in and be that relief pitcher and add a, you know, almost be like a what's the, the backup quarterback in New Orleans. Uh, Tyson, uh, I can't think of the backup. The, 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 Taysom, Taysom Hill. Tight, Taysom, tight, yeah, Hill. He can be that guy. You know, when he comes in, he's got to be he proved at Oklahoma that he can throw the football. So it's not like defense at all. You know, he's just coming in to run the ball. You know, now he gives almost like a Lamar Jackson type feel to the Eagles offense when he comes in as a relief pitcher. You know, he can, you know, they can run more read option. He can throw the ball. He can run it. And you're not as concerned about him, you know, getting hurt because, you know, he's got running back skills with the, with the, with the arm of a quarterback. So that's what's going to give, you know, the Eagles some uh, diversity, you know, in their offense. And I would not be surprised when you draft somebody in the second round if they have certain packages throughout the year that they would feature him on the field. 
along with Carson Wentz. I, I'm not trying to get Carson Wentz off me, you know, away from the, right. you know, the starting quarterback. But I think the second round pick, you don't draft second rounders not to play. You don't draft them for the future. So there have got to be some package throughout the course of the season where Jalen Hurts gets on the field other than being, you know, the backup to Carson Wentz, he gets hurt. So that's, you know, for Doug Peterson and those guys, you know, to figure out. So I think that will happen, you know, with the draft only being, you know, seven picks, you have to, you know, hit hard on your rounds. And then then after the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh round, if you get a diamond in the rough, that's just a bonus to your draft. So you're going to be judged, you know, top heavy on your first two or three picks. So the jury is still out. And I always call this time of the year the honeymoon between the draft and the opening of the regular season uh, because everybody, you feel good about it until you get to September. Now let's see how good our draft really was. Now how many of those guys made the team? How many are contributing to the success of the team this year? Well, you know, as I look at the free agent market, I think they they crushed it in the free agent market. They needed, you know, a shutdown corner. They made the trade for Slay. Um, they need to create competition with a really good guy um, at the at the corner slot position. What they wound up doing is they bring in um, the kill Roby um, Coleman, um, a proven slot guy. Um, they move. Jalen Mills from corner to safety, that's an experiment. But when you look at the kid that they drafted, the Kayvon Wallace kid that they drafted, and the um, the Will Spears kid that they signed, they've, they've upgraded the amount of of, um, of competition that they're going to have at that, at that other safety position. And you know, competition, in my opinion, always forces the cream to rise to the top. You'll, oh, yeah. get, the best, you'll get the best players. Um, they bring in Hargrave from Pittsburgh, um, hoping that you're going to get Malik Jackson back 100%. The position on the defensive side that concerns me the most before I get over to the offensive side um, is defensive end. Because, you know, and, and and I, you know, Toby Cooper just, you know, put on put on the um, on the interaction here. He said, you know, he's worried about the linebackers. I will say that I'm not worried about the linebackers because I like the kid that they drafted out of Colorado, um, the, the Taylor kid. And then the other kid, the Sean, Sean Bradley kid out of Temple, I coached him in the NFL PA, um, you know, collegiate bowl, and he can play. He's going to be a surprise in my opinion. So they've created some, and, you know, they might not have the experience there, but they've got the makings of, you know, some guys that can create competition at that position and somebody will step to the forefront. But the position that scares me the most for the Eagles defensive end you know brandon graham's going to do what he does Derek barnett has not lived up to the bill and is a first round draft pick you know and jim schwartz is the type of defense coordinator he does not like to blitz doesn't like to do it what he likes to do no he he wants to bring pressure and i think you know with hargrave coming in he takes some pressure off of cox then you you know if you get malik jackson back you've got a good rotation of defensive tackle Malik Jackson can kick out, in my opinion, and play some defensive end. But the linchpin for me is, and it's going to be a prove-it year for for um, for for Derek Barnett, is how he continues to progress. Because, you know, the pass rush is a key. I think they're going to be better on the back end. Pass rush, in my opinion, is going to be a big key for them this year. Well, that's why, you know, you you need that perfect combination of, you know, when you when your corners, you don't ask them to cover all day long. But they can't cover all day long if you're not getting any pressure. 
So, so they have to work in conjunction. So your corners look a whole lot better when you get pressure on the quarterback. And your defensive ends look a lot better if they're cover if the corners and the and the secondary can cover a little bit that one step longer. And it, it, it sounds easy, very hard to do, but I think the Eagles have an opportunity, which like I said, with, with them with the additions they made in the in the secondary, that's going to give them an opportunity for if you're going to be thin and you and you have question marks, let that at least come at the pass rush because you can, even though Schwartz isn't going to blitz, you can still blitz to get pressure. You know, to give you know to give you a chance, so you, you know, because you know your corners are going to have to cover the Cowboys' receivers. They're going to have to, <laughs> and, you know, and they're going to have to cover McLaurin and Washington. You know, uh, to the Washington football team, we're going to see. And, and but that's you know uh, that's why this time of the year is still you know we're antsy. It's July. We 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 can't wait to get the training camp so we can get to some of those answers. And once the season starts. We know exactly where we are, but right now I feel good going into the season. I don't like to, you know, because uh, the competitor in me comes in when you try to predict what's the season going to look like. Because I always say sixteen and zero. I don't look at the schedule and see no game we can lose. Right. That's me as a as a player. But the, uh, the analyst comes into my mind, and I'm like, okay, you got six division games. Can the Eagles go five and one in those division games? If they do that, that means you got ten other games left. If you can go better than 500 you go seven and three six and two in those non-division games your division chance <laughs> you know that's a 12 and four record right there you're looking at you know a number one seed you know in the playoffs you know if they can look at it that way which you know which we learned together you know uh, once we got into the league you know don't look at the 16 game schedule because that looks like a journey you play it in months how are we after four games are we two and two are we three and one are we four and oh God forbid if we're one and three and we've been there a time or two. Okay, but then you look at where you're at halftime. We're at the eight games. Are we six and two? <laughs> Are we still on pace to do it? You want to know you're five and three. So, and then you just eat it up in chunks like that. So, hopefully, the team, and as analysts, that's where we're looking at it right now. Because right. I'm looking right. at a, the Eagles being a division winner, you know, maybe splitting with one of the NFC East teams, maybe the Cowboys, who knows. But whoever, it may slip up against the Giants or the, or the Washington football team and go five and one. At the worst, four and two. You still got 10 games left. Right. If you can, be, you know, be better than 500 in those other 10 games, hopefully seven and three, eight and two. Oh, the season is, is great, is rosy. Now you're looking at a one or two seed and you, everyone wants to. Now with the playoff, we need to talk about that, Been the playoffs being extended this year. Right. <laughs> There's gonna be some seven and nines that make the playoffs this year, which yeah. I don't like that. I don't, you know, I don't think you deserve the playoffs at seven and nine. That I don't know the NFL. I thought they had the playoff divisions just right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, let's let's talk about the the offense before I let you go. I think you know there's there's a couple of concerns, but you know there's a couple of things you know to be excited about. You know, um, I think the biggest concern for the Eagles is the offensive line and their depth. I think they made a major move by re-signing Jason Peters, bringing him back. Um, I think that he'll be fine at right guard um, for the season to have both him and Lane on the same side. I mean, two dogs on the Ooh. same side. I, I think just run heavy that side. Go two tight ends to the right and just run miles. Yeah, we got Kelsey in the center. Now. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can double down, double down and pull Kelsey out on the edge. I mean, there's so much, so much that you can do. Um, but depth, 
you know, can Jason Peters stay healthy, you know, for an entire season? And what does that mean, you know, to the rest of the depth on the offensive line? Um, you know, I think they're set at, at running back. You know, there's still some talk that they may go out and bring in, you know, one more running back. Some talk of Shady McCoy might come back. Uh, some talk about um, um, Freeman. He's still out there. I think as things wind, we get closer to camp that some of these things will start to come to fruition. On the defensive side of the ball, I forgot, I would love to see the Eagles sign Everson Griffin um, at defensive end. He's at a point now, these guys have been on the market so long that their value is diminished to the point where you can get these guys, you know, at a low amount of money. Um, he's a guy that I would love to see, you know, the Eagles go and get Everybody's talking about Clowney, but yeah, I was about you know, to say, what about Clowney? You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that move, you know, but, um, but on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, listen, you're locked and loaded at tight end, you know, at running back. I think you're locked and loaded. You know, we talked about Miles Sanders and what he brings to the table. And um, if Deshaun can stay healthy and Alshon can get back, you know, within the first couple of weeks, you know, and some of these young guys can step up. Nobody's talking about Marquise, you know, um, um, Goodwin. I mean, the kids got world-class speed and when he's healthy, you know, he's hell on wheels, but, I tell you, man, um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, they can have a juggernaut. I mean, it's going to be a shootout when the Cowboys line up against the Eagles. Oh, I see it. I, I mean, I, I see that, too. And it comes down to mis the mistakes. It always comes back to turnover. Who wins the turnover battle? Can the Eagles take care of the ball in those big games? You know, because uh, they're, their, they're their only worst enemies. If they, if they do that, you know, I'm not worried about them. <laughs> if, they, if they take care of the football, you know, like I said, it's just choose your poison. You know, you don't, you know, which you don't know where the strength is when you line up in two tights because you got Goddard and Zach Ertz can both, mm -hmm. both play, you know, so you don't know where to call the strength. You know, you don't know, okay, we're going to commit that extra safety in the box is try to stop the run. Well, now you, you're exposing somebody going deep. That's what I talked about earlier. You know, those explosive plays. You have got to have your safety over there, the Deshaun Jackson side of the field. And if, if Rager steps up, it, you know, it's just true. You can't sing. You can't double both of them. Right. And if you do, you open it up running lanes. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's up for, you know, the Doug Peterson and the offense and staff just like, just take the defense, give you whatever they choose. They're going to be wrong. Just don't get greedy. And, uh, and, and I think Carson Wentz, he's got to do a better job of spreading the football around. You, you know, I know he, him and Ertz are boys, but sometimes it's like we know who you're looking for Ertz instead of, looking for the open receiver and just let that person, you know, come to you naturally. And that's what if, if I was Carson, I would study that in Tom Brady. Tom Brady does a tremendous job of that, of finding the open receiver. He has, he's always had favorite receivers, but he also, the open guy is, you know, supersedes his favorite in more often than not situations. And that's part of the maturity that Carson Wentz has to get to. I know his safety blanket is Zach Ertz and that's great. But you got guards, you got running backs, you got receivers that you can get the ball to just the same, and they can you know move the ball for you. Well, you know, I, Keith, I think I thought I saw a level of maturity in Carson last year, where he was, you know, there were times where you know in the past years he was looking to get the ball to to, to Ertz. I think he ran the the, I think he ran the offense more from the standpoint of get the ball to who it's supposed to go to. If your progression is left to rights left to right and Ertz is on the is on the right, you know, then if that guy on the right is supposed to get the ball, give him the ball. 
um, there will be opportunities for you to get Ertz the ball. He's a big part of what they do because he's tough to deal with. But at the same at the same point in time, you know, I understand what you're saying. He needs to spread the ball. I think that the offense becomes that much more dangerous when you spread the ball the way you're supposed to spread it. Um, before I go, I just want to um, I want to Pat Canning, you know, has a question, has a comment up. He said, COVID aside, the biggest need of this team is upgrading health and strengthening and the strength coach. Um, too many injuries over the past few years. They have been bombarded with injuries, and they've been trying to get this right as far as the doctors, as far as, you know, the strength and conditioning coach. There's been a lot of turnover in those areas. Um, what's your opinion on that, you know, as our last question before we wrap here, because they have had to overcome a lot of injuries, even the Super Bowl year. I mean, they, five of their top players were out of the lineup the year that they won the Super Bowl, and they've just – Last year, it was just week after week after week. They're just losing players. Oh, that's a, that's a tough question because somebody has to, you know, be the scapegoat when you have a lot of injuries. And, you know, sometimes, you know, injuries get to be contagious, but so does health gets to be contagious too. And you got to look at your training methods. I mean, when Brian was on uh, earlier, you know, he made a comment. The first month of the season, you know, I've had this conversation over the years. We hate the first month of the NFL season. Because the guys are not battle hard. They don't want to go through playing the preseason games. They just, you know, they're taking it easy. And all of a sudden, you got to go 60 minutes. And it's not just Philadelphia problem. That's a league-wide problem. So then you have a lot of, you know, muscle injuries that carries on throughout the season. Uh, so if you, it's hard to just pin all that on the strength and conditioning coach because that's a league-wide philosophy. And uh, But if he's, like I said, if he's been doing it for two and three years, Sorry, you know, when you can't work in this league, you just can't work in here anymore. It's time to go in a different direction. But yeah. you have to find out that balance of what can, you know, get you in the best in shape. But I think that the team, you got to, you, 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 it, it goes, when, when are they out of shape completely? You know, sometimes I think the body's overtrained because they have these OTAs, these organized team activities in the month of June that carries over into July. Then they go to training camp. And I'm talking about in a normal year. Then you go to training camp. And then you go into the regular season, but they aren't battle hard. All they're doing is talking about it, you know, and going through some things at, you know, 75% speed, but the game is played at 100% speed. And, you know, so when, they, when the Eagles do come out of that first four games of the season, they come out of that quarter of the season with a winning record. Okay, you kind of like exhale. I'm like, okay, now the football starts. It's, like, it's the month of October. The team is three and one or two and two. We can go from there. And the teams that have made the playoffs, you know, consistently over the years are the teams that start the first month, you know, in a, in a winning season and with a winning record. And it goes back to, you know, the, the original question as far as your health. You know, how healthy are you? Because the guys are in shape. You know, they got all these trainers and stuff like that. But are you training the right part of your body, you know, to make sure you're battle hardened and that we all hate it. You hate it. I hate it. All players hate preseason game, but that's a necessary evil to get you prepared for their 16 game regular season. But this year, there will not be no preseason. So everybody's going to start with the same uh, starting spot at the beginning. There's no doubt about it. And, and I, I, I'm personally, I'm so against the way that they practice. I understand. I get why you do it, you know, but I think, you know, to your point, I believe that the body has to be hardened 
um, for the game of football. And when you harden the, the body is during training camp and during the preseason. Um, all those little bruises that you get during the preseason, by the time you get to the regular season, they calloused and they hard. So when you yeah, get they don't hit, you, they, they don't, you, you don't ache there anymore. But, you know, when you get no soft tissue injuries and you getting beat up during the regular season because you haven't hardened your body for the season, then it becomes problematic. And then you get these injuries that linger all season long. Um so and, and people say, oh, you know, you're old school. The the you know the league doesn't operate that way anymore. I get it. I understand. But football is football. And that's yeah, the but way the human body does. Yeah. Really? I mean, you know, like we take a beating on Sunday. You wake up Monday morning. Oh my gosh, we got to do this in seven more days. Tuesday, I'm still a little sore. Wednesday's practice. I'm starting to feel better. Thursday, okay, I got my step. Friday, I can't wait to Sunday. Saturday, oh, you're back because your body's conditioned. Right. It's battle hard. It's like you're going to be hurt on Monday morning when you wake up because you gave it all you had on Sunday. It could ask conditioning. And, and, and part of that is mental. It's, it's mental. But you, it's mental only because you put in the physical work. But if you haven't put in the physical work, yeah, your mind is going to tell you, yeah, I'm hurt. And then, but physically, you don't have nothing to back up. So you have got to marry those two things together. And by the middle of the season, the team, oh, yeah, now they've got over the hump where those little bumps and bruises that bothered you in September aren't bothering you in the November no more. Your body, your body's ready. So that's why it's going to be really important to see how much hitting that they do in the month of August, you know, since there won't be no preseason game. They have got to have some kind of live scrimmages to the ground. I mean, Carson Wentz has got to not get sacked, but he's got to, you know, feel some pressure, bodies falling down around his legs when he's got to make a throw. It doesn't get uncomfortable to watch it in practice, but you're going to have to, you know, do that since you won't be able to do it in a game. Good stuff, KB. Hey, listen, man, as we wrap, you know, I'm going to tell you, like I told B West before he got out of here, time is all of our most valuable commodity, man. And um, I appreciate, you know, you guys hanging in there waiting because I was running late. But I appreciate the last hour and 17 minutes. You know, it's always a pleasure talking sports, talking football, just being with you, bro. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm that, looking man. forward to, you know, us being able to tee it up soon, hang out. Like I said, I owe y'all dinner for being late. Yeah, and, man. Uh, whenever you show up, it's always on time, man. It's you all my good. brother and I love you, man. I, I mean, appreciate it, man. You know, yeah, much, you know, it's always there, man. Much love, man. So as we as we get out of here today, man, to all my viewers, all the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week. Next week, I've got Sean Salisbury on with me. Just him and I for an hour. We're going to be just talking. This is one of my brothers, too. And listen, he can talk some football. Um, so come on with your questions. Tune in. We'll be back here next Tuesday. Until then, you know, to my producer, Derek Stevenson, Tom Schrader, thank you, guys. KB, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Brian Westbrook. You know, hey, listen, you guys be safe. Take care of each other. Love each other. Peace. I'll see you next week.